then um, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. <clears throat> in this version of the Bible, it's, it, the, head, the, the session is headed uh, God's promise to David. Um, and it's a covenant promise. So if you're visiting or new, you've been away for the last few weeks, um, we're looking at this theme of covenant. It's, uh, covenant is the word that describes the basis for any meaningful relationship. It's, it's more than a contract, just the, the sort of mutual exchange or agreement of goods and services. Goods and services are included in covenant, but it's how two become one. It's how, how deep, meaningful relationship is formed. It's, it's how God established relationship with his people, with us. Uh, it's more than just what he does for us or what we do for him. That's woven into it. But it's who we understand him to be and who we understand ourselves to be in relationship with him. We, we, we come alive when we understand ourselves in covenant relationship with him, recognizing all he's done for us and all that he calls us to do in his service. And um, it's like a thread that goes through the Bible. We've seen the covenant with Abram. That was the prefiguring of Christ's sacrifice. We've seen uh, Moses and the people in, uh, in the, the desert, uh, Sinai and Horeb. Horeb is the, the everyday, the mundane. Sinai is God's presence. And Sinai and Horeb are together. God is present. Moses says, where, where, will, I, where will we go? What would we be without your presence? So we see Jesus, we see the Spirit, intrinsic in the Christian idea of covenant. And here is another key moment for covenant um, when uh, God renews covenant with King David. So I'll, I'll read from verse 1 of chapter 7. After the king, that was David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I bought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they, de as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. 
and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by human beings, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Let's pray. Father, it is a revelation. As your scripture says, we ask that your spirit would reveal to our hearts, to our understanding, to our very spirit, the reality of what it is to be so secured in your covenant love, your covenant faithfulness, your covenant commands to us. So teach us, bless us, prepare us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, what I'd love to do just um, today is um, a, a offer a couple of sort of aids, if you like, or, or just some things that hopefully help us to, to understand this, this idea, this notion of covenant that pervades Scripture. To understand it as, um, uh, and to help us to understand it as a really helpful framework. Because I recognize that um, this version of the Bible, anyway, hasn't, I flicked through it, hasn't got any pictures, it's got quite a small print, um, sort of two columns per page. And as you know, this is, it's bound as one book, but it's actually 66 books, uh, different authors, different genres, different dates, different reasons for writing. So it's, it's quite hard if we treat it, we read it as one piece of God's revelation to us. It can be quite hard to work out where we are and what, what is God saying. And let's be fair, quite a lot of the Old Testament can feel like quite, quite sort of long, turgid stuff. I, I quite quickly get bogged down, lose my bearings. And uh, I think God has given us kind of two, two um, uh, reference point, two, two things that enable us to reference ourselves within scripture, a bit like a, a grid reference for a map. I can invite you to sort of open up a map and just find a town or a village and you, it's, it's, there's loads of towns and villages and roads and features marked. How on earth am I going to find the thing? But if I have a grid reference, something on the line of longitude and the line of latitude, then I can, oh, ah, and, and find it quite quickly. And the grid reference to the Bible is basically covenant and kingdom. And if we, can, if we can sort of put on the lens of covenant and put on the lens, particularly as we lean into the New Testament, of kingdom, but nearly all of Jesus' parables, he doesn't say, and then Jesus taught a parable about the church. Jesus said very little about the church. He's, his teaching is about the kingdom of which the church is part. But the kingdom is greater than that. It's where, where God kings it, where God is allowed to rule and reign, where his principles and priorities rolled out. So, so kingdom and covenant. We understand where God rules and we understand how God relates. And, and so much of the Bible then opens up, makes sense. Permit me to illustrate this. Some of you will have come across this because I got it out of Christopher West's book. 
But I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is just read some phrases and uh, invite you to consider whether these phrases make sense or whether they're pretty nonsensical uh, and you, you find yourself drifting off. So here we go. A newspaper is better than a magazine. A seashore is, better than, uh, is a better place than the street. At first, it's better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. One needs lots of room. If there are no complications, it can be very peaceful. A rock will serve as an anchor. If things break loose from it, however, you'll not get a second chance. Hmm? <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you one word, which is the lens to, to see this, or, or it's the, the way in which to hear exactly the same phrases again. And that one word is kite. Kite. A newspaper is better than a magazine. A seashore is a better place than the street. At first, it's better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. One needs lots of room. If there are no complications, it can be very peaceful. A rock will serve as an anchor, but if things break loose from it, however, you'll not get a second chance. One word makes sense of all those phrases and sentences. They, they slot into, but ah, okay. And so it is with covenant and kingdom. That if we, if we work at understanding covenant and kingdom, so much of scripture will make sense to us. Whereas before, we, it didn't really make too much sense. That's, that's one, uh, hopefully, uh, that, that, that sort of framework idea. The other is this idea that for God's people, and I want to... Encourage us to, to try and receive this today. For God's people, covenant was so evocative. There were, there were triggers. We've been using the metaphor of, of, of the covenant as a thread running through the tapestry of Scripture. And if I can adopt a, a different, a complementary metaphor, it's like a melodic line. It's like a tune, like a theme tune that constantly plays through Scripture. And again, if we can learn to see as we read, to hear the theme tune of covenant, particularly through the Old Testament, we'll see just how much God is constantly reaching out to us, his people, in the Old Testament and by derivation, us today. He, he's reaching out to us with this covenant overture. Let me, let me give you um, a, an example, if I can, of, of what I mean. Uh, when I was... Um, uh, when I was growing up, on, uh, I was kind of sport mad. I loved all, all kind of sport. And therefore, my favorite program uh, on TV, and bear in mind, I'm, I'm so old that there were only about three or four channels available when I was, was growing up as a kid. So, uh, but one of these, BBC One, Saturday, about, around about midday, had Grandstand. Grandstand. Anyone with me? Yeah, a few, few people. You might, in a minute, you might, a few more people might, uh, you might recognize it. So Grandstand was basically a sort of magazine, a sort of compendium of all the sport that had taken place that week or was taking place that weekend. And um, I used to love Grandstand. When I was younger, I didn't, young kids, they don't really get lions. So I used to get up early, even though it wasn't a school day. And so by midday, I was relatively bored. I was kind of longing for Grandstand. So I couldn't wait for Grandstand to start. And Grandstand had 
this theme tune. And it had, it had, oh yeah, this was rock and roll to me. When I was a kid, kind of, yeah, it's got this sort of beaty, pacey music. And it had people scoring goals and guys scoring tries and horses jumping over fences and, and people throwing darts. That counts, apparently. But anyway, sport. And it was grandstand, grandstand. And every time I heard that theme, I thought, oh, brilliant. Because you see, I was a kind of young kid aspiring to be the football or the rugby player or the tennis player, whatever it was. And I just loved whatever the sport was that was on. And that was the theme tune. Whenever I heard that theme tune, it kind of locked me in to what was happening next. I could sit down and just drink in grandstand. Now, the covenant has uh, kind of these, these melodic lines. Do you, I don't know if you remember, the, uh, we looked at it in Genesis 3. God says, I will be your God. The, the, the intimacy, not just I'll be a God or the God, I'll be your God. There's the, the, that's a covenant sign of, you belong to me. You will be my people, my people. I will give you this land, he says to Abram. He, he uh, reiterates it to, to Moses, the promised land, all the way through, the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There is a land for you, provision. I'll provide for you. I will protect you from your enemies as the kind of senior partner in this covenant. I'll do all that. You, it's not that you merit it. It's not that you're paying. It's not a contract. It's a covenant. So, so uh, intimacy and relationship, two becoming one, provision, protection, those are all boom, boom. Those are all covenants. I promised Hannah such as I'd actually sing it, and, and there it is, Hannah, I lost where you are, but oh, she's at the back enjoying that little rendition. Covenant theme tune. That theme tune bubbles up through scripture more than you probably realize. It's there constantly to remind God's people of his faithfulness and his love. So here we are with a significant moment. This is when the volume is really ratcheted up on this covenant theme tune, here in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. Very briefly, God's people, they're in their place that God has provided, and he is their, he's their king. He's their Lord. He's their senior covenant partner. And so they are unique amongst the other nations. But what's happened with the kind of hardening of the heart of Israel is they've looked around at these other nations and thought, hey, the, these guys have all got kings who um, are kind of related to them. And they protect them. And they give them uh, land and, and provision. Uh, and somehow, sort of the Ark of the Covenant and a, a sort of tent of meeting seems a little bit um, ephemeral. I, I can't quite sort of, I can't quite grasp what the covenant with you looks like, God, compared to the obvious relationship they had. So the people started to sort of agitate through the book of Judges, we read this. They agitate for a king. We want a king. We want a king. Which actually puts a strain on the covenant relationship because God has promised to be their king. I am your king. Are you not satisfied with the covenant that I set up, that, that I graciously laid out? You don't merit this. I did, Abram didn't pass any tests for me to choose him. And yet God in his graciousness, he kind of, he kind of bends to the, the will of the people. He says, okay, uh, we'll have a king, but it won't be like a monarchy or a democracy this is a theocracy. Israel will have a king, but Israel's king, like Israel's people, will be subject to 
the king of kings, God says, to me. So he is subject to, uh, the king is subject, just as the people, to God himself. So Samuel, one of the last judges, uh, anoints Saul, the very first king, and all goes well for a while. One Samuel, first half of one Samuel, you can read about that. But actually, fairly quickly, it transpires that Saul is not so happy to operate under theocratic guidelines and principles. He wants to be his own man. He wants to be his own king. He will make his own decisions, irrespective of what some of the prophets and the judges uh, advise God is telling him to do. And so Saul falls out of favor with God. At around about the same time that David rises in prominence. Actually, it's around the sort of classic Sunday school story of David and Goliath, the Philistines. And they have this giant of a guy uh, threatening Saul. And Saul is terrified. He's fearful. Why? Because he's, he's walking out of covenant. He's, he's becoming disobedient. And so uh, trusting more and more in his own strength because he doesn't know what it is to experience God's own power and authority through him. He's got all his armor on. And yet here's this great Philistine threatening him. And this little shepherd boy comes along, bringing bread, provisions for the front line. And what's going on here, he says? Well, you know, can't you see? Great big Philistine. And, and David, you see, he, he knows he is in, right in the center of the protection and the provision of the covenant king of kings, God. He, he knows that he's got the covenant sign, circumcision, and he knows that that Philistine isn't circumcised. He's out of God's protection. doesn't matter how big he is. He's going to be defeated. If you read 1 Samuel 17, it's very clear the basis on which David defeats Goliath. Not, it's quite a good litmus test on Sunday school teaching. It's not because, you know, every dog find, has his day or, you know, Goliath is having a bad day or um, God's for the underdog. No, it's God is faithful to his covenant. So David looks at that great big giant and, and rather than Saul saying, oh my goodness, such a big giant, how can we win? David looks at the giant and says, great big giant, how can I possibly miss? One stone, sling, dead. Because of covenant. And the people go, ooh, there's, there's an anointing on this shepherd boy in a way that there isn't on the king. And Saul goes into decline. Eventually he's killed in a battle. His sons <coughs> subsequently also killed at the death of his last son. David is anointed as king. And that's where we pick up the story here with this reaffirmation of the covenant. Let's look at this uh, together, 2 Samuel 7, just to see the covenant's theme tune, the doom, doom, that's going on through this passage. After the king was settled in his palace, verse one, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, protection, see there, doom, doom. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. He's thinking, hang on, this isn't right. Here I am in a kind of palace and um, God's presence is in a, in a kind of tent. And God speaks through the prophet Nathan to reorient David's thinking. You're beginning to think contractually, David. You're beginning to think, oh, I've got to merit this. If I'm in a palace, then we ought to sort of make sure the king's okay, uh, God's okay as well. It doesn't work like that. And so he says, this is what the Lord says, verse 5. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? 
I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Implied answer, no, I've never asked that. Did you, by the way, did you pick up a faint covenant overtone there, melodic line? As I've moved with the Israelites from place to place, God's presence, not fixed, not static, but as he promised with Moses, moving, dwelling, being with the people of Israel. Now then, tell my servant David, verse 8, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And here's the reminder. David, you, you were nothing. I took you from the pasture. You were just a shepherd. In, back in the day, we know this even in Jesus' day, Shepherds had no, they, uh, shepherds and women had no uh, uh, right to vote. Uh, shepherds were kind of the vagabonds of society. They, they lived out on them, they lived rough and sort of scavenged, basically, uh, living with their flocks. So they were the kind of ruffians of the day. And that's, that's the kind of the place that David came from. You, you were just a shepherd. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. You see, the, you see the kind of, just how generous is God in this covenant? You, you, you come into covenant with me. All that I have is yours. All that I have, I share with you. I'll anoint you to lead my people. Wow. David, you've, who, in one sense, who do you think you are apart from me? I've been with you wherever you have gone. Presence. And I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Look at this next phrase, the middle of verse 9. Now I will make your name great. That's a, it's massively going off in David's ears. Because David will remember, just in case we've forgotten, God's covenant promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. What does, what does, what does God say to Abram? Very first thing he says, I will make your name great. It's part of God rolling out the covenant with Abram. Here he's saying exactly the same thing to David. It's, it's just rehearsing. Here's the melodic line. Here's grandstand playing the covenant theme tune. People are going, wow. David's going, wow. You're, you're like the names, verse, the end of verse 9. Like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. God's promise for Abraham, I will, I will uh, give you the land. Here is the promise reaffirmed, I'll give you that place for your people. Wicked people should not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I'll give you rest from all your enemies. Picking up the promise in Genesis 3 that the serpent will be cursed ultimately. The offspring of the woman will curse the serpent's head. And it's through David's line that the ultimate serpent crusher will come to demolish all evil eventually. You see how the covenant is playing through this thread, this melody, playing through the whole of Scripture. But not only that, God extends the covenant promise. And again, it's around this sort of this house uh, issue. Again, this reaffirms this isn't a contract. It's not like, yeah, okay, David, I've been quite good to you, so yeah, I wouldn't mind a a, a sort of decent temple for, my, for myself. No. The Lord declares, second half of verse 11, 
that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. The Lord will establish. You don't build a house for me. I'll establish a house, a dynasty, he means, for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wow. Not just a sort of temple that will be there for a few generations, maybe a few centuries and then rot and erode. No, this is a dynasty, a line that will last forever. I will be, verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Again, that's an extension of covenant. This, this is like turning the volume up to, to Mark 10. Often the covenant refrain is, I will be your God and you will be my people. But here he says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now you're, uh, you're a bright lot. You're, you're already racing ahead with the, the applications. You're singing the song all the way through scripture. <clears throat> Can you think of a time when a descendant of David's line, one from his own line, born, if you like, out of his own body, rises out of the baptismal waters and a voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. What's he done in terms of public ministry? Nothing. This is at the start of his ministry. It's covenant. It's not contract. It's not like, well, Jesus, what are you going to do? And then maybe I'll match you and we can come to some kind of agreement. No, before he's done anything, no one knew. Isn't that, who is that? Is that the, isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? No one knew who he was. And the voice from heaven, the father, says, this is my son whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. Covenant, security, intimacy, from which Jesus lives a fruitful life. How does Jesus teach his followers to pray? That kind of, you know, how do we, sin-filled people, pray to a holy, distant God? A God that the Old Testament people couldn't even take his name on their lips. And Jesus says, in fulfillment of this prophecy... When you pray, like sons, you pray as we did earlier on, our Father. When we pray that prayer, we're, we're enacting covenant faithfulness. We're, we're, we're reminding ourselves, we're, we're singing the song, if you like, the melodic line lives on in us. We're reminding ourselves of God's goodness to include us in relationship with him. I've done that bit. Sorry, just got muddled in my notes. Verse 11 to verse... Oh, there we are, verse 16. Yeah, it's just to finish off that dynasty point, just over the page. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David's thinking, like most human beings, I've got, you know, my three score years and ten, I've got however long over here, then I'll die. And that's... I don't, I don't know. What will happen to my line? Hopefully my line will continue for a generation or two. Who knows? And here is God... In his faithfulness saying, your dynasty, your throne, your line will last forever. And it's picked up by the prophets 
they, they, they hear this song. They hear the doom, doom, and it's just going round and round in their heads as they tune in with God, as they listen to God by the Spirit and speak into the people of Israel to remind them of covenant. They're, they're, they're rehearsing the melodic line. Here is um, Jeremiah. If we can have the... The days are coming, declares the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. There it is. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteousness. For this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor will the priests who are Levites ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. What is Jesus doing right now? The New Testament tells us he's interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. He is the eternal sacrifice. Who's, who has forever made it possible for us to be present to God. Jeremiah, telling the people all those years back then, what we, through Christ, come to know now. God's covenant faithfulness. Let's look at Ezekiel. My servant David will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children, a Bible way of saying forever and ever, will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Dun, dun, diddle, da, na, na, na. Covenant. That's Jeremiah, that's Ezekiel. Here's one, a reading that we may well have at a carol service. I think we have got it at the carol service in two weeks' time from Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We, we hear that in the carols over well, that's quite nice. No, it's, it's the covenant. It was from the days of Adam and Eve and through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, through the leaders, the judges, through the kings, through the prophets, all the way through, gathering momentum and arrowing in on, on Jesus Christ. So that uh, Luke recalls for us when the angel announced to Mary, went to her, this is Mary, and says, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord, <laughs> sorry, I just went, sorry, can I just, a, a horse has just gone by and I'm just going to jump on it. When Zebedee in primary, uh, nursery school come in and they do their little nativity, little three and four year olds, and it is the sweetest thing. And it's just that, it's that thing, they have these little lines from the nativity that they've learned for over weeks and weeks and weeks. And they kind of, they, they do it here, so faithfully, it's wonderful. But of course, being three or four, they just don't get the nuance or anything. <laughs> and uh, 
so the angel Gabriel is kind of, you know, the, the most able kid, age three or four. Three or four in front of all the mums and dads. And they, so they come and they've got all their, they put on the stage, they put all their little crosses where they've got to stand. And so the angel sort of comes out like this. Like, Greetings, Mary! You are highly favoured! You will have a baby! And it's just, it's just, I mean, it's, we try, we try, we, I say to the staff, you can come and watch it, but you've got to be at the back, because I don't want the parents to see you laughing. It's just, it's just the sweetest thing. Anyway, sorry, that was a complete aside. Back in. Uh, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I, I, in doing the prep for this, I, I, I've, I've worked quite hard to limit it down to four. I promise you, I could have put 20 or 30 references up there. All the same thing. Covenant, covenant, covenant. Dun, 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 dun. Evocative. It's kind of tuning everyone in. Hey, great. Just as I was tuning into grandstand and all that that meant for me back then. Covenant for the people of Israel. God's promise. Through David, I will build a house and a line and a dynasty forever. And the, the, the king is also the sacrifice. The one who rules is also the one who's enabled us to come into God's presence. To know that our sin is dealt with. To know that God looks on us as his covenant children in order to bless us. Greetings, Mary, you are highly favoured. Mary hadn't done anything to merit this, in one sense, terrifying honour. Fortunately, wonderfully, she's obedient to the privilege of bearing God's own son. Highly favoured. That's, that's how we are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. I, I finish with a kind of application for us in these next few days and weeks. We're about to um, enter Advent, a season of preparation for the Christian church. Next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent. There are four Sundays in Advent in order to allow us to prepare for Christmas, the celebration of Christ's birth. Uh, out there, Christmas um, begins around about August and ends on Boxing Day. For the church, Christmas begins on the 25th of December and goes on for 12 days until the 6th of January. And it is a full-on feast and celebration. Don't let me catch any of you not celebrating Christmas on January the 4th and 5th and 6th. We are full-on party mode. Celebrating the fact that God has brought his covenant to bear through Christ to each and every one of us. And then it's epiphany, which means revelation. It's when... The gospel, we celebrate the fact the gospel was made not just for God's people, Israel, but for the Gentiles, for all of us. We're all included in God's generosity through the new covenant of Christ. It's not just for Israel, for everyone. So we prepare for that in Advent. And, and here is my reflection, which I offer to you around the, the grandstand thing. That When I listen to that, uh, we've, we found it on, on um, whatever it is, the 
uh, Spotify or whatever earlier on. And when I, ha I haven't heard the theme tune for years, they, the grandstand finished in about 2007 or 8, I think. And the B BBC basically sort of diversifies its sports coverage all over the place. So it didn't have it in one studio, but just out on the field. Uh, so I haven't heard that theme tune for, for some time. When I heard it, when it played, the hairs stood up on the back of my neck. It took me right back to my childhood. Music often does that, doesn't it? It's, it's quite evocative. And um, I, I remembered, I, I remember just it, when I was at that sort of age of, of beginning to you know, play football, for example, and, and thinking, you know, <laughs> did we all have little dreams as, as kids? Kind of thinking, oh, may, maybe I could be a you know, professional footballer. If I watch enough goals being scored on grandstand, football focus, maybe I'll be a, a footballer too. And that, that sort of all the hopes and the kind of dreams and all this sort of the almost was fantasizing around watching these different sports. That's what I'd like to be. These were heroes to me. And it's all, it's all caught up in grandstand, which is evoked in me. Those memories are kind of brought alive through the music. And, and, and as, I'm, as I'm taken back to what grandstand meant to me as a child, I'm remembering that I was looking, at, I was looking ahead. I was looking forward. And Advent is that season. It's, it's meant to evoke covenant faithfulness in us. When we look back and remember that God has come to us in Christ. Emmanuel means God with us. In other words, this is the tangible reality of covenant. In one sense, pity the folk of the Old Testament. They brought a bull or an ox or a sheep and they slaughtered it to, to, to cut covenant. And they're wondering, is that enough? Is that efficacious? It was just a dumb old sheep or goat. Will that really cut it with God? And God has sent the ultimate covenant sacrifice. A sentient human being who in his own will subjected himself to the cross for us covenant, Christ with us, Christ for us, and by his spirit, Christ in us, makes covenant real to us. So Advent is a time when we look back and remember that God has made covenant, all these covenant promises, that, that we kind of notionally, we think, oh, that applied to them back there, back then. No, these apply to us now. These are our promises. So Advent, we look back and give thanks and celebrate. We prepare for doing that at Christmas. And we also look ahead. Just as I was kind of, you know, it, it, watching grandson, looking, dreaming, hoping. Advent is a time when Christians dream and hope and long that Christ will fulfill one of his covenant promises to return. <laughs> Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We're living, uh, as Lydia said at the start of this series, in between the two trees. He has come, the cross, making us covenant partners with God. And he will come again, the tree of the healing for the nations, that, uh, that picture of abundant life, the stream of life, and the temple in, in, uh, in heaven itself. So we look forward, we look ahead, with rich anticipation, knowing that every day we live here, we're one day closer to being with God forever. Advent, a season when we remember the richness of the covenant. We listen to the melodic line. Let it sit and play in our heads. I will be your God, your Father, 
and you will be my people, my children. To God be the glory. Amen.